BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Thursday, May 17th, 2018. Today, YouTube Music is announced for next week. Apple is also looking for a major new campus. Mobileye signs a big deal for autonomous car tech. And the SEC creates a honeypot to teach investors about scammy ICOs. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. It's been rumored for quite a while, but YouTube has finally announced YouTube Music, a subscription music service to rival Spotify, Tidal, Apple Music, and all the rest. YouTube Music will launch next Tuesday, May 22nd, and will be priced at $10 a month. This is an attempt by Google to simplify its content offerings around music, which it desperately needs to do, but at the same time, it's still very confusing, so bear with me here. Google already has an existing music streaming service, Google Play Music. Well, that's going away. Existing Google Play Music subscribers will instantly get access to YouTube Music. But YouTube also has YouTube Red, which allowed you to watch videos on YouTube without the ads. As a part of YouTube Red, you also had an on-demand music streaming service. Well, YouTube Red is also being replaced by YouTube Premium, which is a $2 a month charge on top of an existing YouTube Music subscription. You have to be a YouTube Music subscriber to have the privilege to also pay the extra two bucks to be a YouTube Premium subscriber. Got it? So in summary, starting Tuesday, you can pay $10 a month for YouTube Music. You get ad-free music streaming and downloading. And for $2 more a month, you can also watch ad-free videos on YouTube, plus video downloads, plus YouTube Originals, the original shows that YouTube has been producing, including that Karate Kid spinoff, Cobra Kai. In a blog post announcing all of this, YouTube wrote, The days of jumping back and forth between multiple music apps and YouTube are over. Whether you want to listen, watch, or discover, it's all here. YouTube Music is a new music streaming service made for music, official songs, albums, thousands of playlists, and artist radio, plus YouTube's tremendous catalog of remixes, live performances, covers, and music videos that you can't find anywhere else, all simply organized and personalized. For the first time, all the ways music moves you can be found in one place, end quote. As Peter Kafka writes, Google is going through all these machinations to try to streamline its music offerings under the YouTube umbrella for one simple reason. Y'all have long been in the habit of essentially using YouTube as a de facto music streaming service anyway, and Google has needed to properly monetize that. Quote, YouTube Music was built in large part to placate music labels who complained that YouTube's free ad-supported service didn't generate enough revenue for them. I didn't mention it on the show, but last week the New York Times profiled Secarus, 
or Securus, depending on how they want it pronounced, a firm that enables real-time warrantless cell location tracking for law enforcement agencies. Securus buys location data from major telecom companies like AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile, and Verizon, and then resells that data to marketers and advertisers and the like. Increasingly, however, law enforcement agencies have become major Securus customers as well. As the Times wrote, quote, As location tracking has become more accurate, and as more people carry their phones at every waking moment, the ability of law enforcement officers and companies like Securus to get that data has become an even greater privacy concern, end quote. Well, timely words, because late yesterday, Motherboard reported that it had been contacted by a hacker who claimed he or she had breached Securus's servers. The hacker later provided proof by sending Motherboard data from Securus's databases. Quoting from Motherboard, Most of the users in the spreadsheet are from U.S. government bodies, including sheriff's departments, local counties, and city law enforcement. Impacted cities include Minneapolis, Phoenix, Indianapolis, and many others. The data also includes Securus staff members, as well as users with personal email addresses that aren't explicitly linked to a particular government department, end quote. According to Motherboard, the hacker explained how he or she was able to access the data, and in their words, the method they used was, quote, relatively simple. Senator Ron Wyden has been investigating Securus's methods and business practices even before last week's New York Times profile. After learning of this latest hacking incident, the senator released a statement to Motherboard saying, quote, If this account is true, it demonstrates yet again that Securus is failing Cybersecurity 101 in total disregard for the privacy of the Americans whose communications and private data it should be protecting. This incident is further evidence that the wireless carriers and FCC need to step up and do much more to ensure that Americans' location information and other personal information isn't sold to companies like Securus that have demonstrated that they simply don't care about cybersecurity. This is a really cool story. Engadget has a hands-on profile of a new Xbox controller called the Xbox Adaptive Controller, which is a new accessibility-focused gaming controller designed for video game players with disabilities. The controller will cost $99 and will go on sale later this year. Here's how Engadget describes it, quote, The controller itself is a clean white rectangle about 11 inches long and 6 inches wide with two large black buttons on its face. The buttons aren't touchpads, but they are light touch enabled, clicking down with the softest of taps so players can roll their palm between the two or otherwise click them without exerting much force. Each button makes a slightly different noise as well, offering an extra layer of sensory input. To the left of those big black circles is a D-pad, classic Xbox power button, and a profile button that allows players to quickly shift between three different mapping options, even mid-game, end quote. The current state of accessibility-focused gaming controllers seems to be a bit of a mishmash of DIY solutions and cobbled-together workarounds. Getting the Xbox adaptive controller to improve on this state of affairs is seemingly a passion project for the Xbox developer team. After Microsoft launched the Xbox One Elite controller for hardcore gamers recently, it discovered that the design of that controller was popular with gamers with disabilities as well. So they started working with Able Gamers, whose mission is to make gaming more accessible to anyone. 
Aaron Mustin Fersh, an assistive technology specialist, told Engadget that the new controller was a leap forward for inclusive gaming, not just because of its functionality, but because the design was sleek and stylish. Quote, the Xbox adaptive controller doesn't look like an accessibility tool. It looks like an Xbox product. For players who have been dealing with mismatched wires and tools cluttering up their gaming spaces, this is a huge improvement, both physically and mentally. Recently, the world learned the power of artificial intelligence, a technology cybersecurity leaders have been leveraging for years. Now, as AI expands and evolves, those same security leaders are left wondering where humans fit into the next generation of AI-empowered security tools and solutions. Arctic Wolf, the industry leader in managed security operations, seeks to answer this question in their newly published report, The Human-AI Partnership. Access the insights of over 800 cybersecurity decision makers in North America and the United Kingdom to better understand how organizations are weighing the benefits and risks of deploying AI tools. Uncover the biggest obstacles to turning AI and human engineers into a formidable team. Discover why the near-term benefits of large language models are being upended by a crucial flaw in the technology. And learn what the rise of AI tools mean for human practitioners moving forward. Get your copy today at arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. That's arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that's had its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months or worse. That laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride. We've been hearing all about Amazon's months-long sweepstakes to plant a second headquarters somewhere in North America. A lot of the smart money seems to think that they will eventually land somewhere in the greater Washington, D.C. area. Well, if so, they might have some company. Several different outlets are reporting that Apple has been quietly exploring opening a new campus in the northern Virginia region, just outside of D.C., but North Carolina might be in the running as well. According to the Washington Post, Apple is looking to open offices for 20,000 employees and was feeling out local governments in Northern Virginia for ideas. Quoting the Post, Economic development officials under Virginia Governor Ralph Northam proposed several sites for the project after Apple representatives said the company was seeking 4 million square feet of office space. That amount of space is nearly two-thirds the size of the Pentagon and about half of what Amazon is seeking for its second headquarters, end quote. Among the locations pitched to Apple were three... Crystal City, the Eisenhower Avenue Corridor, and Loudoun County, 
which were also pitched by Virginia to Amazon as possible locations. Separately, the Triangle Business Journal is reporting that Apple has been kicking the tires of the Research Triangle Park, a 22 million square foot research park in North Carolina. The speculation is that that location might be attractive to Apple because of its proximity to NC State, the University of North Carolina, and Duke University. Apple CEO Tim Cook reportedly met with North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper when Cook was in town recently to give a commencement speech at Duke University. Tim Cook got his MBA from Duke, by the way. Apple announced in January that it would invest $350 billion in the U.S. economy over the next five years and create 20,000 domestic jobs. The speculation is that this new campus might house Apple's customer service and technical support staff. Intel's Israeli-based autonomous driving unit Mobileye has reportedly signed a deal to install its self-driving chip tech in 8 million cars to be produced by an unnamed European automaker by 2021. Financial terms of the deal were not disclosed, and obviously the identity of the automaker is still unknown. This is one of the largest deals yet for self-driving technology to go into production-ready consumer automobiles. Note that this is not for fully self-driving vehicles, but for what is known as advanced driver assist systems. These systems allow cars to be autonomously driven, but a driver must remain alert behind the wheel. Intel bought Mobileye last year for $15.3 billion, and the company says it expects to have over 100,000 Level 3 automated cars on roads by the end of 2019. Level 3 automation is when the car is self-driven, but the driver remains prepared to take over operations with about 10 seconds notice. In a nice bit of timing, there's a lengthy profile up in Bloomberg of Mobileye, which I'll link to in the show notes, of course. Quoting from the piece, Mobileye has roughly a 70% share of the driver assist market, and in 2016, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration reached an agreement with industry groups that will make the systems a standard feature for all new vehicles sold in the U.S. by 2022. It says this will prevent a total of 28,000 crashes and 12,000 injuries by 2025. Finally today, a cautionary tale followed by a weird little related story. The Wall Street Journal has a piece up where it analyzed 1,450 initial coin offerings and found that 271 of them had some real red flags. Red flags like plagiarized white papers, fake executives, and promises of guaranteed returns. But guess what? Investors nonetheless poured more than $1 billion into these dubious ICOs, and the journal estimates that losses from projects that turned out to be frauds may amount to as much as $273 million in lost investor money. In case you're not aware of what initial coin offerings are, they're when companies sell newly created cryptocurrencies to finance various projects. Governments and regulators have been increasingly scrutinizing the ICO market because of the unregulated, wild west, anything goes nature of these markets. The Securities and Exchange Commission is especially concerned about investors being victims of ICO scams, so much so that it created a website to market a fake ICO for Howie Coins. 
If you go to www.howiecoins.com, you'll find a website that very much looks a piece with the websites of a lot of new altcoins and cryptocurrencies preparing to ICO. There's a countdown to market, a promise of pre-sale discounts for insiders, and a full nine-page white paper that explains the technology behind the new completely made-up coin. Business Insider notes that the name Howie is a reference to a 1946 Supreme Court ruling in the case of the SEC versus W.J. Howie Company, which ruled that any transaction is an investment contract if, quote, a person invests his money in a common enterprise and is led to expect profits solely from the efforts of the promoter or a third party. If you actually enter your email address to learn more about Howie Coins, you're redirected to the SEC's website and a list of red flags to look for in various suspicious ICOs. In a press release, the chairman of the SEC wrote, We embrace new technologies, but we also want investors to see what fraud looks like. So we built this educational site with many of the classic warning signs of fraud. Distributed ledger technology can add efficiency to the capital raising process, but promoters and issuers need to make sure they follow the securities laws. I encourage investors to do their diligence and ask questions. That's all for the Tech Meme Ride Home, everybody. I wanted to do my quick semi-regular request for ratings and reviews of this podcast, especially on Apple Podcasts and Google Play, but also whatever app you happen to be listening to me on right now. Thanks, as always, to the Tech Meme editors for helping me put this all together. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>